This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Colby Garman and Clint Clifton. Hey, welcome to the Church Planning Podcast. My name is Clint Clifton, and uh, today we're going to replay an old episode from September 4th, 2019. Way back before coronavirus was a thing, the world was a way different place. Uh, And today we're going to replay this episode because I think it's so useful. These are 10 rules for church planting. These are my top 10 pieces of advice for those who are going out and starting new churches. So maybe you've been out there starting for a little while and you've gotten down into the minutia of church planting and you've forgotten some of these fundamentals. Some of you are getting ready to go start a new church and you need to be reminded of these fundamentals. So these are 10 rules for church planting. Hopefully you'll find these biblical and helpful um, and practical, but these are things that you need to keep on the top of your mind as you're out there starting a church. And these, these rules are true regardless of context doesn't matter if you're planting internationally or you're right here in the United States. doesn't matter if you're planting on a team or you're planting as a, as a individual, a solo lead pastor kind of model. Um, these rules will, will serve you if, you if you listen to them and abide by them or obey them. So um, these are my best pieces of advice. When somebody comes up to me and says, hey, give me your top piece of advice about church planting, I'm telling them one of these things for sure uh, virtually every time. So we're going to hear a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to go to the top 10 pieces of advice for church planters. Michael Crawford's new book called Don't Plant, Be Planted, Contrarian Observations About Starting a Church is out now. You can find it anywhere books are sold. And if you pick it up, you should be prepared to hear some sound and hard advice from an experienced church planter about the joys and sorrows and victories and defeats that come with this huge task of planting a new church. Now, Mike Crawford is a veteran. He's a practitioner. He's been out there planting a church in a hard city called Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, he's gotten the church started. It's thriving and it's multiplied, and you need to read this book. He um, shares some very direct and heartfelt um, observations about church planting in a no holds barred kind of way. It's short read. It's an easy read. I encourage you to pick it up. It's called Don't Plant, Be Planted, and you can find it anywhere books are sold. Hi, Josh. Clint, how are you doing? I'm doing really good right now. Good. Yeah. The um, church planting is, is going well. It is going well. It's going well, day to day, it feels like it's going terribly because it feels fragile, like everything's going to fall apart. But really, if you, yeah, it really that's, that's how it feels for me. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, it totally feels like that. But uh, I think that's why I like it because it, you know, I get to be in like perpetual startup mode, you yeah. know, which is, th- but vicariously through other people. Like it's not totally on my shoulders. Yes. So I usually uh, like initiate the planting uh, yeah. stuff and get the puzzle put together, but I don't actually have to. Uh, deal with the day-to-day difficulties that planters have to deal with. So <clears throat> I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's fascinating because there is that that fragility and you're you're wondering like, 
you know, are we going to survive? How's this going to go? Well, I'm always thinking like, this is so stupid because like I'm a Christian, right? I want the spirit to blow. I want the wind of the spirit to blow where it blows Yeah, and uh, trust God and his providence and sovereignty for all of that. But, um, I, I kind of like things are going kind of well right now. There are a lot of churches being planted, um, in, on all the places where I'm working, there's, there's progress. Yeah. And, um, so I'm always thinking, I remember a time when there was not progress though. And I remember, you know, I, I think this is so special. I feel like every day I feel like, oh man, this is a yeah. vapor. It's going to stop, wow. you know, like the, the wind is going to stop blowing at some point. And so I just, I feel myself like trying to hold on to it, you know, in whatever way I can, yeah. which is really just not good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it should motivate me to pray that God dependency. would continue dependency on the spirit, but it motivates me to like, how can I set up the circumstances so I can trick the spirit into continuing to work? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, uh, you know, I got real issues. Well, that's, I think that's comforting for those of us who are still in, uh, like day to day, just overseeing one church plant. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, um, in this episode, yeah. um, you have on your wall, a, a sign or a plaque that says 10 rules of church planting. Yeah. Um, let's go through that. Okay. Let's, let's go through um, these 10 rules. The, the first one here is churches plant churches. Yeah. So these are things just as a preface, preface, these are things that I say all the time uh, to, I end up when I'm talking to church planners, they just come up all the time. Also, probably the, the most common question I get from church planners is um, what's your, what's your most you know, important piece of advice you would give me if I'm about to start a church. And so these are things that I dole out regularly all the time. And I've just been saying them for a long time. And, um, and people start repeating, have started repeating them back to me. Some of them I stole from other people. Some of them Mm. maybe are, uh, the phrase is original, but the thoughts not. So there's really nothing original in here. So don't attribute it to me. Just share it as liberally as you want. We'll, we'll post the photo in a show notes of of the picture of it on the wall, but, but yeah, just understand these are things that I think are truisms in church planting. And some of them are just mindsets that I encourage you to adopt as a church planter. So the first one, um, the first one, yes, uh, churches plant churches. Yeah, churches plant churches. And so what I mean by that is that churches, new churches, uh, are should be and are rightly initiated by other churches. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it is true that most churches that get planted get planted by other churches, but it is also true that most churches that get planted get planted out of frustration. Um, uh, that happen in other churches. Totally. So really, i.e. church splits would be kind of like the extreme example of that where somebody gets so frustrated that they the congregation literally divides into segments. Um, and so that's obviously not healthy, a healthy version of church planting. The, the healthiest version of mm. church planting is that a church out of love and worship for for God says there are a group of people in X place or in Y place that and don't have access to the gospel in the same way that the people in this community do. And so we want to take some of the brothers and sisters that we love very much and send them there so that those people can have access to the gospel so that uh, a church is in pursuit of those people. So they are more likely to come to faith in Jesus. Um, so yeah, churches do that. Now I, the reason we say that is because church planners often get distracted on this one. They think they plant churches. So the most common like surrogate here is that they would think the church planter would think himself to be kind of the center of, of Mm. that. Uh, but the, but church planters don't plant churches. Um, if a church planter, if the church, uh, in essence, rises and falls on the success of the church planter alone, 
it's very likely to fail because church planters often fail. They often fall out. And so if everything, uh, it's sort of like putting all your eggs in one basket. When, when a church owns the problem of lostness in a community, though, if the church planter flakes out, then the church obviously does what the church would do and, and continues to, to go after the problem. So, yeah. We have had a um, situation in our church where um, several times over and over again where um, a church planter for some reason either isn't uh, the ministry isn't effective or it's not working or something's not going well about it. Um, and we've had to reshuffle the deck and kind of uh, change out personnel and swap things around. But we continue to pursue bringing the gospel to that community because if it mattered at one time, it matters now, you know. And uh, so churches do that. Also, we get confused. We think denominations do it or networks do it. Acts 29 doesn't plant churches. The Sin Network doesn't plant churches. New City Network doesn't plant churches. Um, Stadia, you know, right. uh, you, you go on and on. Those organizations uh, don't plant churches. At the end of the day, really, what they do is facilitate the church's movement to plant churches. But individuals uh, and groups of individuals known as churches um, initiate the planting of new churches. That's the right way. That's how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so um, anytime we get our heads um, you know, wrapped around um, some, somebody other than the, a local church with a burden for the lost, planting a church, something's not right about it. I, the analogy I always use on this one is, of course, it's possible for you to, uh, you know, anybody to become a mom or a dad. You know, they, they might have the, sure. the mechanisms to pull that off. But that doesn't mean it's right. There's a right way for a family to get started. And when I say churches plant churches, I'm describing the right way for a, for a church to get started. Hmm. Man, that is so good. And you've lived that out uh, by example for years now. Uh, let's go to number two. Your family is your first flock. Yeah. Yeah, I love Matthew Henry on this one. Um, He says the family is like the pastoral Petri dish. Um, You know, it's like a place Mm. where an experiment is done. The household, your household is a place where an experiment is done. And the experiment is, is this person of pastoral quality? Can he pastor this small flock? The small flock's your family, right? Right. So can can, uh, he care for, can this man care for the spiritual needs of these people? Can he impart the gospel to them? Can he um, help them uh, repent? Can he be patient, kind, gentle, self-control with mm-hmm. them? Can he can he live out the pastoral ministry inside the walls of his own house? In some ways, the easiest place to do it. In some ways, the most difficult place to do it, right? Yeah. And if he can do it there, then that is an indicator to us that he can do it on a larger scale. Maybe he can do it in a small group. Maybe he can do it in a small church, a house church, or maybe he can do it in a larger church. But that principle in Scripture, if he's faithful with little, be faithful with much, mm-hmm. applies very you know, specifically here, your family is your first flock. And the scripture even tells us in the qualifications for pastoral ministry, it even tells us that if um, he can't manage the household of God, he's, or he can't manage his own household, how can he, how can he be fit to manage the household of God? So, right. so the scriptural qualifications for pastors point to this reality that your family is your first flock. And so you're, um, you're, you're never a better pastor than you are in your household is another way we might would say that. So I think that is another rule that I just am constantly saying to guys. Mm. Yeah. It's huge. It's, it's, it's like the proof in the pudding. Mm, Yeah. And, uh, man, there have been times and seasons in the church and some tribes that underemphasize that point. And uh, it really bleeds through into the rest of the picture. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to number three. You cannot provide everything your church needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three and four are connected. Okay, let me just say that like from okay. the onset. But, but you can't provide everything your church needs. It means you do not have all the gifts, tools, resources at your disposal to properly build, begin, 
facilitate your church's starting. Other Christians are needed in order to do that well. So the idea that you're going to be this like lone ranger church planner and you're going to go out there and you're going to give the church everything it needs. You don't have the leadership gifts uh, that your church needs. You don't have the fruits Mm. of the spirit that your church needs. All all of those are represented. You certainly don't have that fivefold ministry that we read about in Ephesians 4, uh, apostles, prophets, uh, shepherds, uh, teachers. Uh, you don't have all of that stuff. You don't have all that stuff. So you have to uh, assume that if God is um, at work, then he, he's going to pr- use other people and other means and other churches to, to help provide some of the pieces of that puzzle. Mm. Uh, I see too many church planners thinking that they're essentially the savior to a community. And they, it's actually, uh, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it comes out in the way they talk about their own church, you know, as, you know, the salvation for the community and when really it's uh, hopefully um, if God gives the mercy for it to be true it's a place where people can come and meet Jesus but it's not the salvation for the community for anybody's community Mm, mm. man that's so great what a great point Uh, four you said is tied in it says if God is calling you he is calling others just this idea that you know you are going to plant a church but God is, if God is working in you to plant a church, wouldn't a sovereign God who cares about the planting of a church in a place call more than just you to do that? Um, it, it seems rational that it wouldn't be like, you know, just you alone. I think some guys have like a, you know, Moses syndrome. Like I have to, it's me alone. All of the, mm. uh, all that has to be done in this church plant rests on me. And really God's calling you to be an initiator and to, to, to uh, get things going. And you really, I mean, if it's done right, you'll have really, the testimony will be God was doing something and I got to be a part of it. Not I did something, you know, and yeah. it was great. Yeah. Amen. Um, and, and we mentioned this idea back in our interview with Colby that you mm-hmm. did um, as a great example. If people want to go back and listen to yeah. what how that fleshed itself out in your own ministry and life, that's a great episode to refer to. Okay, let's go to number five. Yeah, build in the beginning what you want in the end. This is probably the most common piece of church planning advice I give. Now, this is just a picture of V in your in your mind, okay? Mm. When the uh, when the church is very small, you're at the point of that V, this the bottom of the funnel, right? You um, so if you want your church to be compassionate to the poor when the church is large and strong, then you have to be compassionate to the poor when the church is uh, small and weak. Um, and if you want it to be about church planting, if you want to have a culture of leadership development, if you want to so on and so forth, whatever you want to be true of the church in maturity, there has to be a kernel of that in the in the beginning of the church's life. The reason is because it is very inter, uh, it's very difficult to change the culture of something once it gets going. And so um, we set out, for example, a couple things that I'll tell you in our church. We set out to plant uh, a church that every offering we ever took there was a portion of it that was going to support other new churches. Church planning was important from the beginning. So we put a kernel of that. So there was a little tiny fraction of our budget that was going to church planning. Mm-hmm. It was actually, it wasn't a small fraction. It was, a, it was a large percentage, but it was a small amount. Right. But now the church is much larger. The budget's much larger and it's a large amount now. And so people look at us and say, wow, how do you give so much money to church planning? How do you give so much energy and focus church planning? Well, we do it because we did it when it was really small and mm-hmm. nobody even asked along the way because it grew with the, with the proportion of the church. Um, we just, we just, um, shimmied the, uh, the ratios a little bit in the early days is what we did. And we built in the beginning what we want in the end. And, uh, I think, you know, um, you know, we've heard it said, I've said it on this podcast.
podcast before, but um, you know, guys tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in two years and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. And so there's this, this, this important thing that you have to do as a leader is you have to anticipate, you know, the changes that will come to your church over time. And that some of the anticipated changes are it's going to get bigger. It's going to get more complex. It's going to get more difficult. So introducing an idea like church planting at year five or six or 10 of a church is just not going to happen unless you have like exceptional leadership abilities. So, man, that's so good. Uh, Number six. Brutally honest feedback is your friend. Yeah, so I just encourage you to build feedback loops in. Um, uh, pastors get into this um, zone where they're the experts and everybody else learns from them. And the problem with being an expert is there's nobody to learn from. And uh, especially if you view yourself to be an expert. But um, I think pastors often forget that they're members of the congregations they serve. You know, they need the gospel just like everybody else does. And if you set up the scenario when you're working with other people as I'm the expert, I'm the person everyone has to go to for the right answers, then you'll find the weight of that is crushing as the church gets larger and as the the ministry gets more complicated. And so I would really just encourage uh, you to set us uh, a way for there to be really, really honest, a culture of honest feedback in your church. And you guys at Pillar, Mm -hmm. you have some kind of like review form or we've talked about that. Yeah, we do. It's actually in the back of the thresholds book, church planning thresholds, uh, or if you just email me, I'll send it to you happily. Uh, But yeah, it's a service review form. We're talking specifically about our worship service. So we're asking things like, how was the sermon? Did, was the gospel clear in the sermon? Did, was the sermon compelling? Was it helpful? Uh, So we're getting critical feedback on the sermon. We're doing the same thing with the music. We're doing the same thing with the tech. We're doing the same thing with all the elements of the worship service. And uh, on other times during the rhythm of the life of the church, we're evaluating other things about our ministry, how we're discipling, all those things. There has to be brutally honest feedback mm-hmm. in a culture where you can say something honest and it's not seen as argumentative or spiteful or hurtful. And if you do not have a, a if it's not regular, if you're not normally giving critical feedback, then it feels painful when it comes because it, it's rare. So we don't want it to feel like that. We want it to feel very common, just a place yeah. where we commonly talk about our warts and we own them. Uh, and you'll, you'll find that that kind of culture makes everything better all the time. Things are always getting better, always improving. Mm, good. Okay. Four to go. Uh, number seven, pastors are professional forgivers. Yeah. I don't know that that needs a lot of, um, explanation, but it's true. Like wounds. you will, you get wounds, man, you will get, I just, I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but I was not prepared for the amount of artillery that would come my way. Like just, (laughs) just people, you know, and maybe I, I think now I look back and I always go, I was just thin skinned. I was, you know, extra sensitive, but I think pastors have to be. Um, tender-hearted and thick-skinned, and, yeah. and many pastors that I know are thin-skinned and, and hard-hearted. Mm. And so, I just think it's really important that we be, see ourselves as professional forgivers. We are the the chief example in the church of the person who has received much grace, mm. and um, and we should be distributing grace liberally, freely. Mm. That's that's what I think. And if you uh, can't forgive people. Uh, quickly, uh, you will find that your ministry is really, really difficult. Mm, absolutely necessary. That's really important. Yeah. Okay, number eight. No one 
owes you support. support. Yeah. yeah, I just think church planners far too commonly, you know, I, I think of the scenario where the guy worked at a big church and then he decides to go plant a church and he rolls off and he tells his, his church, hey, I'm going to plant a church. And they say, great, praise the Lord. We're glad for you, excited for you. And then he expects the checks to start rolling or them to pay his salary or part of his salary. And they don't do that. And then he gets angry with them. Mm-hmm. And I just remind everybody, no, you're not entitled to anything. Like this, this decision to go and plant a church was a decision between you and Jesus. Hopefully your church sent you. And it was a decision between your leadership of your church and Jesus and you. And hopefully there were other people involved. And to the extent that there are other people involved, those people will bear the weight with you. But particularly if you're an individual who has just kind of said mm-hmm. on your own, I'm going to go plant a church. I, I see it just It's just almost comical to me. The number of church planners that get angry with people that they thought should support them that don't support them. And I'm telling you this, like I watch church planners all the time, work with them all the time. The, um, the most common thing that happens is the people you most expect for you to, so to support you don't support you at least in the way that you think they should support you. Right. And then the people that do end up supporting you are people that come totally out of left field. It was like some aunt that you didn't know about. <laughs> it was some random person off the internet. It was some church that you never expected. And uh, it's just the way it works. God, God, I think, keeps us humble in that way. And so if you spend your time getting crammed up about the people that didn't support you that you think should support you, you're going to be mad the whole first couple of years mm. of your church planning journey. So. Oof. That's another good one, man. Oh, these are rich. Okay, uh, number nine, church planting is free. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, we all get caught up on the money thing, but church, the things that Jesus calls us to do in church planting, the things that the scripture commands us to do in church planting, none of them cost anything. Mm. I mean, really. Everything that's expensive about church planting is something you've added on top of the scripture requirement. Mm. Um, you can test that one through and through, but... It, you can make disciples, you can evangelize, you can, you know, uh, build the church, you can grow people, you can even make networks and systems. You can do all of that for free. And there are in every community, there are thousands of free places to meet called houses. They're free. And uh, even there are there are public gathering places that are free. I know it's hard to believe, but if you look hard enough and you're willing to flex on some of the things you think are essential or critical, there are free places to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I, I know in our region, we've got dozens of churches that meet in free locations. Um, so, yeah, I just would say that church planning doesn't cost anything. And everything if you ever feel tempted to make the excuse that I can't do this because I don't have enough cash or I don't have enough you know, of X resource, um, you've, you've kind of manipulated yourself into believing something that's not scripturally commanded about church planting. That's really important because you're not saying this to, to encourage the church planter to be stingy or cheap. Yeah. Um, but you're saying it to help them with their expectations. Yeah. You've got to see resources that come in for the church plant, either from your quarter team or your members or, uh, other churches or other individuals. You got to see those as bricks to build the, the, the thing, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're good to have, but they're not required. Yeah. You know, they're, um, they're assets. They're helpful. Uh, sometimes they're distracting. I mean, I, you know, uh, having too many resources can be as bad a distraction as mm. uh, I, I've seen more church plants fail from over-resourcing than other under-resourcing. I'll wow. say that. So, wow. yeah. Great. Okay. Number 10. Yeah. This is the last one. And maybe, you know, for, for a lot of American church planners, it's the most important one. Uh, uh, growth. 
growth, the growth of your new church, the numeric growth of your church is the quickest path to sustainability. Mm -hmm. Now, church planners often think the sustainability will come through partnerships. Um, We got to get a lot of partnerships. And so, you know, I think it's even been mentioned here before, but if, if you, if I see a church planner that's spending an inordinate amount of his time working with other pastors, then I am thinking, okay, this guy's not going to do well in the long run because he's so concerned about his securing his personal financial welfare that he's not putting the church in the center, the new church in the center of mm. his, you know, kind of focus. He's putting in the securing of his paycheck in the center of his focus. And you, for most guys, it's hard to do both of those things really good. Yeah. Um, so I would say the quickest path to sustainability to financial security, so to speak, for you and your family as you church plant is the growth of your new church. Grow the church. Yeah. I'm just amazed at the number of churches that have been going for five or six or 10 years and they've got just a dozen people or less. And, um, you know, they, they say, we're, we're doing all the right things. And I want to say, no, you're not. And you're not even, usually those guys aren't asking the right questions. I know mm-hmm. church, I know it's hard to plant churches. Trust me. I did it. I wasn't very good at it. I know it's hard to plant churches. My church grew really slow too in the beginning. And so I understand all those things. I'm just saying that if you don't figure out what the problem with growth is, why aren't people coming to your church? Mm-hmm. Uh, why aren't people staying at your church? Uh, then you, your church will never be sustainable. You'll get money from other churches and that money will essentially go into the wind because uh, at the end of the day, you will not be able to sustain it and the church will have to close. Mm. And so I just encourage you to um, to focus on growth. I know like right now it's seen at, we're, we're so anti-pragmatism right now that it's seen as evil or wicked or wrong to focus on church growth. Those are people with souls that Jesus died for, every one of them. Them hearing the gospel and the church growing, them growing in community is a great thing. Don't run away from that. Mm, mm. Man, that is really important. Great. Ten rules of church planting. There you go. Yep. Plant churches. Your family's your first flock. You can't provide everything your church needs. If God's calling you, he's calling others to build this church. You build in the beginning of the church what you want in the end brutally honest feedback is your friend pastors are professional forgivers and no one owes you any support church planting is free and growth is the quickest path to sustainability boom all right we'll post a picture to that sign that you have proudly hung in your office (laughs) it's great good material thanks clint hey podcaster thanks for listening to the church planting podcast hopefully it's been useful and helpful to you in your ministry And if it has, we'd like you to do two things for us. First, we'd like you to subscribe. If you subscribe right there in your podcast application for the Church Planning Podcast, and every time a new episode is posted uh, midday on Wednesdays, that will show up in in your podcast feed and you won't have to search for us every time you want to listen. So that's the first thing you can do. The second thing you can do is simply click that share button in your application and uh, post about the Church Planning Podcast, either your favorite episode or the podcast as a whole on your favorite social media platform. That would be a huge help to us and it would help other folks who are out there trying to start new churches glean from the wisdom of those who are featured on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.
Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Josh Taransky produced today's show. Nick Bastian was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky, who provided administrative and web support for the program. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. If you'd like more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes, as well as notes and links from today's show. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check us out on the social. And tune in next week for another episode of the Church Planting Podcast.